0: This week on the VergeCast, it is Paul Miller's last episode. We got some special surprises for that. We run through the usual virus news. Then we talk about the MacBook Pro 13-inch, the new Microsoft Surface Go 2, the Surface Book 3, a bunch of Xbox news, and then Dieter desperately tries to explain Google's messaging
1: strategy to me. We'll see how it goes. It's the VergeCast. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com designed for work.
2: This episode is brought to you by State Farm.
0: hello and welcome to the verge cast the flagship podcast of the paul miller weekly segment mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm your friend neil dieter bone is here uh I don't, I don't know what i am i'm also a friend <laughs> dieter, is, dieter is going through a time we're gonna get through <laughs> it together paul miller is here hello paul uh this is your this is your last show with us for for, for now I'm very sad about it.
3: It's a breakup episode.
0: It's wow. it's going to be emotional. It's going to be sincere. I saw, Paul, I saw some um, speculation on Twitter that we, we had had some sort of beef. Mm. There's no beef. There's no beef. Uh, perfectly honest, everybody, The Verge, th- like every other business, Fox Media, The Verge, our budget's changed. We had to make some calls. Sadly, we have to say goodbye to Paul. But first of all, Paul, I want to say you and I have been podcasting together. since 2007? Is that when we rebooted the Engadget podcast? I don't, I can't remember that back that far. <laughs> it was a long time ago that we rebooted the Engadget podcast together, which was a lark of an idea before any of this podcasting business looked anything like it does today. So we've been talking to each other about tech on a show like this for a while. We started The Verge. Three of us are actually founders of this thing called The Verge. We started The Verge with this is my next podcast together. Mm-hmm. Before there was even a, a website, there was this podcast.
3: Yeah, I think of this podcast as the Engadget podcast was originally Peter Rojas and Ryan Block, and I was listening to that and a fan of that. Yep. Then I moved to New York, worked for Engadget, then I was on that podcast, and then we we sneakily stole the <laughs> <laughs> as much audience as we could <laughs> with podcast continuity by having this is my next. Uh, which yeah. moved into uh the Verge cast. It's true.
0: Do you remember when uh we used to sneak, we were at Engadget, and we would like sneak around plotting the Verge and we called it Project Secret. <laughs> it was no. it was like the worst code name of <laughs> it all the time. time. <laughs> it really? That was the code name. It was horrible. Wow. It wasn't great. That's great. I would say uh worse, The only one that's worse was uh I think Vox.com Ezra called it Project X. Mm-hmm. Which do you there was like a movie about like chimpanzees being trained to like drop bombs on people. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew it's like, Yeah, it's very sad. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> wrong code name. <laughs> anyway, we've been doing this together for a long time. Uh, the thing I was thinking about is Paul, this is not the first time, right? Like you left the internet for a hmm. year and left the verge. You came back, you left again when we were starting circuit breaker. Cause I really wanted to gadget coverage again, very serendipitously. I remember Dieter and I were like sitting in a bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. being like, who is going to help us do gadget coverage again? And you literally called out of the blue. I was like, I need a job. <laughs> Just like lightning strike. You have actually since left the verge, but we kept doing the podcast together. So this is the first time it's, uh, it's the verge side initiating the split. It's fine. Mm. It's me doing it. But I anticipate that you'll be. Back again in some way in the future. That's just what history suggests.
3: Well, and anytime you need a guest to shill Bitcoin, I'd <laughs> <Yeah>. be happy. <laughs> but no, you guys have given me so many opportunities and uh, so much uh, grace, and uh, you've been really at bros and and friends. And so um, I really, you know, I really appreciate the way you guys and Vox Media and The Verge have have treated me in our on and off relationship <laughs> over the years. So there's definitely there's no. No hard feelings at all. And yeah, I'd, um, I'm sure we'll f- find ways to collaborate.
0: You know, the one thing I'll say, and uh, people have pointed this out, Paul, you and I have talked about this a lot over the past few years. You and I obviously do not have similar political beliefs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's clear what? to the audience what? at this point. <laughs> what? Um, but one thing I have always appreciated, and it, I think both of us have gotten notes from the audience to this effect. I think it's been valuable to have those disagreements in like a civil and rational and direct way, regardless of the, the policy disagreement. You and I have been friends for a long time. And I value the fact that we built The Verge together. And I really have come to value the fact that we hopefully have been able to model for people what it's like to to still be friends, even though you have deep, 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 deep political disagreements. Like we come out of it laughing more times than not. I, I'm going to miss that. I hope people see that. That was something you and I have talked about and cared about and wanted to to do for folks uh, because it's been important to me.
3: Yeah, it's, it's totally important to me, and and it's I never wanted this to be like a political show, um, but it you know as tech became more political, I feel like that just sort of was inevitable, and so um, I, I still don't think of myself as a hugely political person. I just have you know. Maybe outside the mainstream thoughts on <laughs> the role of the government in our lives. And uh, and it was cool to have a uh, an opportunity to, to share that, you know, without yelling at each other.
0: And now I'm going to yell at you. Okay. okay. So we're going to miss you here, but Paul, you've got a, a new show and a new site, right?
3: Yeah. If you go to paul.lol, uh, I'm so proud of that domain name. Git. That is an
4: incredible domain name.
3: You can sign up for my newsletter, Cyberdeck Users Weekly, and I'm also doing a podcast of the same name. I've got uh, two episodes out. Uh, so you can subscribe to that, uh, like, and favorite on your favorite services whenever it gets deployed to iTunes. <laughs> but yeah, paul.lol. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to all the listeners who have reached out and and so many uh, notes of love on Twitter. It, you know, it, it really means a lot. And I, I really, really appreciate it. All right. Now we got to do a show. We got to do this show. Yeah, and then you can go listen to Paul's show. It's great. You
0: just one more podcast listed. It's make, even more, even more reasons to pull over in your car. All right, so I'm going to start. Show comes out on Friday, which means it's really easy to count. It is uh, week eight. It's been eight weeks
4: uh, since Donald Trump promised a website based on a flowchart. Can I tell you something about this, Neil? Every week you do this, and you say it's been. And I get that goddamn bare naked lady song stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, yep, eight weeks uh, since the flowchart day. Since you flowcharted me.
0: Website <laughs> still does not exist. Uh, Verily, which is the subsidiary of Alphabet, this story is so tiresome. Just know that it's been eight weeks. If you're, Still curious what I'm counting. Just listen to last week's episode because the it's one before exact that. same information, or the one before that, <laughs> with a lower increment of a number. Uh, but know that the real way we're going to come out of this is with a robust testing and tracing apparatus that does not appear to be in place yet. So we're, we're still paying attention to that. That said, when it comes to testing, there was a bunch of news this week that is interesting. The FDA authorized the first CRISPR-based test for COVID-19. Most tests now. Are based on technique called PCR. We actually have a, a great story from Nicole about how PCR testing works that you can go read. Uh, the CRISPR-based test is a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper, a little bit more um, accessible in terms of what kinds of equipment you need in your lab to do it. So that first test has been authorized by the FDA. Apple invested um, ten million dollars in a COVID-19 testing kit company. So you see the, like I said, we're coming out of this with testing and tracing. So the The amount of investment and interest in testing is going up. And then Liz Lapato wrote a really important piece that I think everybody should read about antibody testing this week, which goes into immense detail on how antibodies in your body work, like the different methods your immune system uses to produce and use antibodies. Sometimes they just don't do anything. That's just like a real thing. And then the amount of antibody tests that are on the market, you can actually go get one right now. But many companies will happily sell you one. They have not all been proven to work. So some of the tests have up to a 14% false positive rate, which effectively makes them useless. So there's just a lot of hope, I would say. Hope, confusion, optimism, and pessimism around antibodies and antibody testing. Liz spent, I, I think she spent over two weeks reporting this out, talking to a lot of doctors, a lot of scientists, um, a lot of researchers about antibodies and antibody testing. So just go read that piece. We really wanted to provide like a very credible, serious, deeply reported, rational look at the state of antibody testing. Uh, and Liz absolutely pulled it off in the animations on how the antibodies in your body actually work are great. Alex Parkin did those. Um, so go check that
3: out. It, it's, to me, one of the more important pieces on this whole thing that we published. Do you think that there's going to be some sort of biotech renaissance coming out of this? Because it, it seems in a sense that whatever biotech we had, the people who are trained and capable uh, right now are the people who can engage with this current scenario. But new investment and new people switching their major, or that that kind of thing, could be, you know, what the future of that industry. Do you guys have a good vibe on that? Is that just like wishful thinking? You know, I was on, um, right
0: before we came on the show, I was talking about my first remote CNBC appearance, which notable mostly because my AirPod fell out of my ear on live television. But (laughs) it's funny because, you know, the CNBC anchors who are all very smart, very plugged in, they were talking about the amount of funding they're seeing in the biotech industry, right? And it, it was literally in the context of WeWork right? Like all of the sort of startups that were getting the the money and the unicorn valuations, WeWork, Uber, all, it was all like consumer stuff, all stuff like you need your mom to do, you know, like on-demand made service or, you know, like it was, it was, it just felt small or it seems now in, in this moment, particularly small. And the investment is now flowing to things that are big. I think that's a really interesting phenomenon. Honestly, Paul, I think the answer is I hope so, but I, we're seeing it now. And I think the generation of kids who, are going to be interested in you know, biotech and bioscience. Like, it's, it's gotta be huge, right? Because if, if this is the defining moment of your life, mm-hmm. then it, it's gonna have that kind of ripple effect.
3: So I hope so. There's an amazing video series I was watching like right kind of when the lockdown started where Geohot, the guy who you know jailbroke the iPhone, cracked the PS3, and now has a self-driving car company. He's just like, let's hack hack the genome of the of the virus. You know, and he's just downloading, like, publicly available information and processing it with Python. It's really interesting, like, the tools that exist right now. Yeah, I mean, that's like
0: that sort of, like, democratic access to the information. Like, the virus is sequenced really fast. Mm. Yeah, that's, like, remarkable. The, the split between the amount that we know and the amount that we don't know is just as we read the coverage, as we talk about our coverage, that split is fast. We know more about this virus than almost any virus in history at this speed, right? It's brand new. So the amount that we know for the fact that it's new is remarkable. It has been an international race. And then the amount that we don't know is vast. And that's the thing that will help solve
4: it. It's like we have we have a ton of intelligence about the the virus, but like as a country, we're not acting with a ton of wisdom. We've got like way too much too many like charismatic leaders at the top saying the wrong things, and we need to move with we need to have more dexterity about uh, wow. cleaning up our uh, our testing process here. I don't like this uh, to make our country, give, give our country more strength. Really? Yeah. Okay, I get it. We should just
0: grind on stats for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I would take it.
4: All right. Um, other virus
0: news. Uh, Amazon is kind of getting it on all sides right now. So Josh Jezza on our team actually broke the news: the first Amazon warehouse worker um, at the Staten Island facility in New York died of COVID nineteen. That comes on the heels of a lot of protest um, and a lot of complaints from workers about the conditions in, in Amazon warehouses. Tim Bray, who was a VP at Amazon, resigned specifically because the company was ignoring worker unrest. That's a high-level executive principal engineer at Amazon. Very public blog post. He
4: was a very public person. Everybody, A, a, a bunch of people in tech knew, knew, him, knew him from before. And if you have not read his blog post, his letter about why he resigned... Uh, you absolutely should. I know me recommending reading a, a you know a letter from a VP of Amazon doesn't sound that exciting, but it is bracing. It is, and it is very clear. He's a good writer. One of the keys was Amazon has
0: fired some of its most vocal whistleblowers. That's one of the reasons he quit. Uh, Congress is now demanding uh, explanations. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren came together to demand Amazon explain why those whistleblowers were fired. There is a growing unease in Congress. Senators- representatives from both sides of the aisle calling on Amazon to explain whether or not it lied in hearing antitrust hearings about whether it uses its data to make competitive products. Amazon also, they're getting it from regulators. They're getting it from their own workforce. I think pretty soon they're going to start to get it from customers because their ship dates are still pretty low. And like Amazon at this moment cannot sell you toilet paper, right? Like the things you think Amazon could do for you, it's not able to do. So that's three sides. And Casey wrote the newsletter this week. It, it stuck with me. The thing that made Facebook change was not consumer unrest, was not privacy scandals, was not regulators. It's when they were less able to hire people, when talent didn't want to come work at Facebook, when talent was going elsewhere, people were leaving the company. Amazon's now. It, it's, it's something close to that moment, plus this additional regulatory pressure, plus this sort of customer. Like for me, where I'm at, Amazon. everything takes a week to get from Amazon now, down from tomorrow. And I think that is just a big combination of things. So we're tracking the Amazon story. Um, The virus is really shedding a light on that company. Some interesting tech approaches to the virus. Pittsburgh is going to start using UV cleaning robots um, in the airport. So they're going to shine bright UV lights that kills the virus. Uh, New York City is going to start using UV lights to kill the coronavirus in subways and buses. So now these kind of cleaning techniques are coming to the fore. That's really interesting. And then on a sort of culture side of the story uh espn is now going to start airing live nba 2k league games <laughs> like we're just fully in the moment of athletes playing video games on live television i'm extremely here for it if they would like to let me play madden against aaron Rodgers, i'm available mm. i'm cheap compared to them i'm guessing um i'm not free but i'm definitely cheaper so it's just an idea just if anyone from is listening i'll do that I'll lose. I'll even throw the game to Aaron. I just want to do it. Uh, and Nicole Wetzman wrote a great piece this week about building design, office design, and how we actually know, we, we've known for a long time how to make healthier buildings, healthier office plans to combat the spread of germs and viruses. I think that's going to, as we think about how the world will come back to work and business, we're going to see a lot of that change implemented. So go read that piece. It's like right in the strike zone of science, design, technology really cool go check it out okay that's all the virus updates i have now we got to talk about macbooks and talk about surface go there's like a lot of news a lot of hardware we get to talk about MacBooks. <laughs> <laughs> real privilege let's take a break we'll come back and do that
1: support for this podcast comes from canva they say rome wasn't built in a day but you know what you can get built in a day your creative deck you can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work, so whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn, it's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva Presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work.
2: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before,
0: Dater. Yeah. What a week. It it was a huge week of very small hardware changes. Uh, you actually wrote your newsletter this week. One of the headlines was, it's the spring of iterative hardware
4: updates. Take me through it. Uh, I was uh, inspired by uh, Marcus Brownlee, who tweeted that it was the year of the ultra minor uh, Apple update, which sounds a lot like the the year of whatever, whatever, the sponsored years from Infinite Jest, if you're uh, the kind of person that has read Infinite Jest, or the kind of person who has pretended to have read Infinite Jest. Which is, oh, I carry it around everywhere. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm never without an unread copy of Infinite Jest. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, so the... The news uh, from Apple is that they have updated the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and they d- the main thing, the thing everyone's going to pay attention to, and the thing that you should pay attention to, is they swapped out the butterfly keyboard for the scissor switch keyboard, the quote-unquote magic keyboard, um, which makes it, I think, 0. 0.02 inches thicker and like 0.08 pounds heavier. Uh, you can convert the metric yourself if you'd like. Um <laughs> Just you can, you can. I'm not going to help you, um, but I'm going
0: to remind you that if you need to, you can
4: do it if, on you, if you are lucky enough to be in a car right now. Pull over, no, just ask Siri. Oh, yeah, wait, <laughs> wait, ask Siri, see how that goes for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're not familiar with the MacBook Pro, there's the 13 inch, there's actually always kind of been two of them, and there continues to be two of them. So, the base model, other than the magic keyboard, is pretty much unchanged from what was available last summer dan reviewed it it's got an eighth gen intel core processor there's like it's just they they put the good keyboard with the escape key in it the end Um, but then there's another version that has the 10th gen processors Um, and that's the one i'm reviewing right now and i did not expect it to be quite as good as it is um iterative update iterative updates like yeah it'll be faster whatever uh but i especially with intel i've sort of become acclimated to not really knowing, seeing a huge difference from year to year in my like, day-to-day experience of it. Um, and only really seeing the difference in like, you know, this thing is 10% faster on this, you know, benchmark or whatever, uh, which doesn't really affect the kind of work that I spend most of my time doing. But- I don't know, compared to a three-year-old laptop, this is notably faster. And of course it should be. That's like how you expect the world to work. But, you know, Apple did the thing. They they put in the uh, the newer modern processor in a MacBook, which is not something we've been able to take for granted from Apple for quite some time. Uh, so that's, that's the story with the MacBook Pro. We're reviewing it. If you want to know about it and what you want me to do with it, tweet at me.
3: You're reviewing the $1,800 SKU? Yeah, it's the 1799
4: which is a Core i5 with 16 gigs of RAM. It's LDDPR 4X, um, and it's got 512 uh, SSD.
3: It's just weird. Why can't there be a fast... I mean, $1,300 is is you can get a lot of laptops. Like there's this wave of like $650, 700 AMD laptops that are coming out with like the new Ryzen 4000 series laptop chips. Like those are going to be very performant for like less than half the price of this.
4: Yeah, so there's that. And then there's like, you can get Windows uh, laptops, even in 13 inches that like have real GPUs in them instead of the Intel Iris Plus. The Intel Iris Plus in this thing is impressive. It actually... The whole package, I don't know if it was the, the GPU or just the 10th-gen processor, the whole thing actually did better on Premiere Pro than I expected. Um, normally, Premiere Pro is the way that we can tell that that <laughs> Apple software doesn't support its chips, <laughs> uh, you know, like Adobe <laughs> just isn't doing it. Um, and that's probably still the case here, but, like, it did way better than it had any right to. Um, it was almost as fast as a 16-inch, which is wild. I'm fairly uh, certain the
0: betas of Premiere Pro now actually have uh, GPU support for encoding which we'll see. I mean, it's, it's always like a risk. Like what if I offload this to a slower other processor is like that. That's that checkbox. Uh, and sometimes right now in like Lightroom, depending on your computer, it actually gets slower when you turn on GPU and code because the integrated GPUs are slow, but they're at, there's Adobe slowly getting there after however much outcry. One thing I think is interesting. And I noticed this and you called it out in your hands on too. Apple's, preferred software, like applications to show that it's faster are 10,000 miles away from Adobe. And it's like extremely vague. It's like 4x faster in this game you've never heard of. Photo editing in Affinity Photo is twice as fast. It's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Like, Like, how are you benchmarking that? I think... They're now at a point where to show that things are faster, they have to find applications that are optimized for the platform,
4: and they're being way louder about it than than before. Yeah, um, I think Paul, you're right about the uh, the pricing. I mean, look, like Mac users are kind of a captive audience. Like this is why the keyboard caused so much angst. Is like if you wanted a Mac, you had no choice but to buy a keyboard that you couldn't trust for not quite five years, depending on what model, but. I mean, we should talk about it. in In the past six months, they have refreshed their entire laptop lineup. After five years of trying to make Butterfly work, in six months they're like, "Nope, we're done." And they were, when they
0: put out the 16 with this keyboard. They did not. They did not suggest they would be moving this fast.
4: They're like, "It'll come." Yeah, yeah. They're they I mean, you know, Apple never likes to give you a hint. You know, they don't. They don't. They don't like being Osborne or whatever. Um, but. I don't know. I kind of expected them to not move quite this quickly. I was thinking that what they were going to do, and I actually asked them to do exactly what they did, just screw you, put the 13-inch out, don't wait for the micro-LED screen or whatever. But mm-hmm. I, in my heart, I kind of expected them to like put the 16 out and then wait till they had like some fancy new screen technology or some other bigger iteration to put out on the 13-inch. And they chose not to. And... Part of me is like, uh, I'm sad. And part of me is like, yep, good. If someone needs a laptop right now, and there are people that like need a laptop right now because their keyboard is broken in isolation and they got nothing else to do. <laughs>
0: um, there are at least
4: two Verge reporters with broken butterfly keyboards right now. Yeah. I'm just like freaking out. So if you have the money and you can afford it, like... I, I haven't given this a full review. I can't like endorse it, but uh, I would be completely shocked if uh, this wasn't radically better than the 13-inch MacBook you have now if it's, you know, more than a couple years old.
3: Do you think Apple learned a a valuable lesson about hubris? No. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: what are you
3: talking about? Absolutely okay. not.
0: Just just
3: kicking it around.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean honestly, like you said macOS is a captive audience, right? If you want to run Mac OS, they still sold a lot of Macs during that period, even though the keyboards are notoriously bad. I think it got to the point where they were putting out new laptops with repair extension programs at the same time. Yeah. Just to calm people down. Because you know, Apple's line was this is a tiny fraction of keyboards that are breaking. The vast majority of people. Yeah. Everybody loves them. A customer sat is through the roof and it's like. Casey Johnson and Joanna Stern their keyboards broke and it's all blown out of proportion. like that is not our experience right like again there are two people on the verge staff my uh 13 inch Macbook Pro review unit had two broken keys but three months ago two keys were broken we we just know lots of people there are, I think it was underreported I think people just dealt with it and so Apple's stats were wrong and I think the more they looked into it the more they realized, trying to fix it versus just rebranding it and going back to the trusted design was the way to go. And I think they moved really fast. You know, obviously Apple's product cycles are, they're a lot longer than just immediately reactive. All these products were probably ready to go and they're cruising into graduation, graduation season and then back to school. And they need to be ready for that. They need to have a MacBook air out now stocked up in the channel so they can do their discounts for back to school, assuming there is such a thing <laughs> you understand what I'm saying back to homeschool yeah here's my question for you Dieter fully loaded MacBook Air or MacBook Pro uh because MacBook Air has the 10th gen chip
4: yeah uh, it has a 10th gen chip but it, it's got a, a way lower thermal ceiling right like you can't yeah. you can't run that thing hot it'll it'll start to choke way faster um and that will affect you it won't affect you with, like, your 15th Chrome tab or whatever. Um, it will affect you if you're trying to do stuff with, like, Lightroom, right? Or if you're trying to do stuff with, well, maybe even with the GPU. But, like, basically if it runs hot. If you're doing video, you're doing anything, quote-unquote, pro, you're, you know, decoding the genome or whatever if you're <laughs> geo-hot. Um, then you, you should step up there. I mean, a bunch of people are asking me this question. Um, and, you know, until I've like done a review, I can't say. And there's also like that lower base model of the pro sort of out there. You know, I think that if you are asking that question, you should probably get the Pro because like if you're not price sensitive enough and you like you sort of you are like thinking well maybe I want that power you'll just feel better having gotten one of the Pros um, if you're not asking that question you're just like I just want a Mac I want a thin light MacBook then get the MacBook Air you'll be happy so like if you're asking you're probably going to be unhappy you're like the if you don't get the Pro the first time the Air is slow for you you'll be like ah Dieter how dare you <laughs> and I don't want that in my life so
0: I'm just saying you can spec out a MacBook Air. Actually, specs are ridiculous. You can spec out an Air with a 10th gen i7, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 2 terabyte SSD for 2250 That computer feels ridiculous to me. Yep.
4: I I completely agree.
0: Like, if you're going to spend that much money, you should definitely buy a Pro. Yep. Because I, I can't imagine why you need those specs if you're not trying to use them.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Unless you just want to keep a computer for 10 years. Whereas, let's see. Oh, it's funny. The pro, the MacBook Pro page on Apple's website is uh, it's dark mode <laughs> because it's uh, it's Pro. Whereas the 1799 configuration, you can spec it out. Oh, 32 gigs of RAM, 4 terabytes. Yeah, you accuracy. can get
4: up to 32 gigs of RAM and 4 terabytes of storage on the uh, the new MacBook Pro, the 13-inch. You know the only thing that would make me buy an
0: Air over the Pro is the touch bar?
4: Yeah. I'm just going to say
0: it. I really dislike the touch bar. But I guess we got to say uh, the thermal thing to me is when I was reviewing the Air... You just watch it hit the ceiling, and the cl- the processor throttles way down by design. And like you hear the fans, you're like, "Now my computer's slow," which I the more I think about it, makes less and less sense to me. If you're gonna run the fans super hot, it's because you're letting the processor get hot. It's like that whole system is optimized to keep things cool because it's a cooling system. I, I understand, but if you're gonna run the fans super hot, like high, and just deal with the noise. Why not let the processor run hot?
4: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe they, they just can't. I, I, I still feel like somewhere along the line, Intel told Apple, we got this. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and design it the way you're designing it. We're going we're gonna to take care of you with the next version of the chip. And Apple's like, cool. So we'll use this thing that is too hot now. But you promise the next one will be cool. Mm. And Intel's like, yeah, we got you. And Apple's like, we totally believe you, Intel. How does Apple make that belief? I don't know. I mean, and they couldn't get
0: away from the air form factor, right? I mean, they tried, super tried, refused to let them. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of Intel chips. Iterative Revs, a bunch of new Microsoft stuff.
4: Yeah, so the, the headline is uh, Surface Book 3 and Surface Go 2, but there's also like they finally put out a um, release date for the earbuds and they also dropped the price. Uh, there's also new Surface headphones, there's a Surface Dock 2, there's new keyboards. So it's just a, like Microsoft's like, oh yeah, we make stuff. Here it all is. Um,
0: <laughs> that no one really has to, I mean, they, they're, they're saying build, which is their traditional keynote developer conference. We're in developer conference season. Yeah, And so Apple is still having a virtual WWDC. It seems like they're just all systems go. Yeah,
4: Google announced they're doing a keynote just for Android. Uh, It was like they made a cute little video with George Takei, uh, but it's not the full Google I.O. developer conference.
0: Yeah, I mean, I.O. is scaled way down. And then Microsoft is kind of like, we're doing build, but it's more for developers than ever before. Yeah, And build was always kind of the outlier right? Like WWDC, the keynote was still a consumer keynote. They would like, at the end, they'd be like, and Swift UI. And then everyone would be like, but you announced a phone and pay attention to the phone. Um, so Apple was their keynote at the developer conference was very consumer focused. Google was somewhere in the middle, right? They would announce a bunch of consumer products and then it was very much a developer conference. Microsoft was always at the farthest end of the spectrum where it was like, come for the keynote. Someone will write code On stage for an hour now, (laughs) which is very useful for its audience of developers, very much not a consumer keynote. So what you're seeing is Apple still going. Yep. Google has scaled IO way down, like basically not happening, but like they're going to do an Android thing. Announce. Yep. Yeah. And then Microsoft build is fully a developer conference now Mm -hmm. and they're just releasing all the hardware this way. Yeah. there's a great video of Panos Panay, like in his wood paneled study. Yeah. Saying I'm super pumped and like holding up products. Like I love that. Anyway, Microsoft stuff. Uh,
4: so, I mean, what do you want to talk about first? I mean, I guess uh, let, me do, let me do the Surface Go 2 first because that's kind of the easiest. Um, there's three things wrong with the original Surface Go. Um, well, four things <laughs> wrong with the original Surface Go. The first thing that's wrong with it is it broke my heart uh, because I loved yeah. it so much because it's so cute and Wii and exactly what I want out of a computer. But it was not great. Um, the first thing that was wrong with it was the screen was too small. The bezels were, like, embarrassingly huge. The second thing that was wrong with it was it was s- 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 slow. Slow. It was Slow. Um, super slow. And then the third thing that was wrong with it was battery life was like not at all what you would expect out of it. So they've attempted to solve all three things, but only if you buy the model that costs like $629, plus you got to buy the keyboard, plus you can decide if you want to get LTE. So the base price is $399, but for that price, you still get the Pentium Gold processor, which, and even worse, you get eMMC storage, uh, which is, so you got to step up anyway to get an SSD and you might, if you're going to step up an extra, you know, I don't think it's 150 bucks or something, you might as well step up to the 629 edition, which gets you a proper core M3 processor and 128 gigs of storage and I think eight gigs of RAM. Um I've used it for like a tiny little bit, and it does seem like it's uh, it's going to be okay. The screen is bigger. It's 10.5 inches, and they say the battery is bigger. I don't know the exact watt hours on it uh, off the top of my head. Um, so if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, they may have fixed the problems, but we don't know. But uh, I'm excited about it because um, I can't help but be excited about tiny computers.
3: It really feels like two different machines. Yes. Like, EMMC e- e- is so... So dang slow. Yeah. Uh, Pentium well, It's gold. paired
0: with a Pentium gold, which <laughs> honestly sounds would, like a chip for old people. Like,
4: <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like a laxative. I'm sorry. You, can, you get an AARP discount.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I would love a good old-fashioned bake-off between whatever iPad. You, I don't know which exact iPad you could get for $400 right now, but that iPad versus uh, Surface Go, that's $400. But this $630 machine like, if you're thinking, like, I want to do a laptop-y type thing with my iPad or I want to do, a you know, in a $4,000 keyboard or whatever Apple's charging, you know, versus I want to do a laptop-y type thing with this $630 and a $100 keyboard with an M3. Like, I, that seems reasonable and interesting.
4: It's reasonable and interesting. I mean, we'll see. It is only 120 gigs of storage, but fine. You can you can expand it with a micro SD card if you really want to. The thing that's interesting though, Neil, I said it's for old people. If you look at their video, it's like all kids. Like they are they are definitely thinking. Especially if like that 399 model, just buy this for your kid. It'll solve their homework problem. And they'll leave you alone while you're in isolation. Like I feel like that's what they're going for.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and honestly, like not having enough laptops for your family to properly homeschool right now is a thing, but. It's a thing that is well solved by Chromebooks. Like, that's like a Microsoft trying to make a thing that competes with
4: Chromebooks is just a theme now. Well, the, the Windows Ten X, they're like, oh, just kidding. It's not a dual screen OS anymore. It's now for single screens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what?
2: Yeah, Wait, so they're just what? Like,
4: yeah, uh huh. They're just going straight after Chrome OS with it now. They're just like, just kidding. Windows Ten X is for single screens first. We'll figure out the rest later. Who knows oh, wow. when the Duo is coming out and the Neo and everything else. I. I think if you if you go to Best Buy
3: and you browse the Chromebooks, the $300, $400 Chromebooks are so, they just don't seem very trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And when you have a piece of hardware like the Surface Go, it has this premium aspect to it, and it's from a brand that you know very well. And you, and you love them because they don't allow you not to love them because they buy everything that you love. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the Wonderless shutdown really hit you I hard. I was just you know? going to say,
4: now we're going to talk about
0: Wonderless for the next 45 minutes. Great. <laughs> I, I just think like, right, but then you buy it. You buy the cheap one from Microsoft because it's Microsoft and you love it. And then you're- You
3: made a mistake.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then you've got this like slow story. Like that's just none of that makes any sense to me. But we got to get it and we got to review it. Uh, The more interesting one to me is the Surface Book 3, which is... Do you want to take this one, Eli? Because it is the most confusing machine ever. Uh, There's actually a number of Surface Books in my family. Okay. For whatever reason, my niece and nephew have them. Yeah. I always ask them if they use them as tablets. And?
4: No. Never.
0: (laughs) Never. (sighs) They never take them out of that base. Yeah. Right? And the base to me is like the most interesting part of of the entire product. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got a big thick base that makes it effectively a laptop. Well, they've stuck more battery in there. They can, there's all kinds of stuff they can do once they know in the base. And so like, you just put it together and then you you have a much better computer because you've got more battery. The thing is allowed to run faster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you pull it off and you've got this like giant windows tablet. Mm -hmm. that's unwieldy. And it's like, shouldn't you just put them together all the, like it's a tablet that is best as a laptop. And worse as a tablet than almost every other tablet, but it's so compelling just because you can pull it apart. I, I mean I agree with you, it's confusing. I just don't know why why we are across the industry now, mm-hmm. we are insistent that the computer part needs to be in the screen. Right? The iPad Pro has the
4: same problem. You can you can make it a tablet and you can like do stuff with it. I would not go so far as to say that the the tablet part of the book three is worse than everything else. It does mean that they have one compromise. So th- what they did, like there's a 13-inch and there's the you know the bigger one the 15-inch um and you can get if you want like a an Nvidia GeForce GTX 1650 Max Q or the 15-inch you can get a 1660 Ti you can you can, like throw just a ton of ram and gpu and all kinds of shit in the base but the gp the cpu has to live in the screen cuz you can take it off and it still needs to you know work <laughs> which means that they've gone with uh they haven't gone with like the 45 watt chips that you get in like a Regular laptop, you have the the smaller, lower wattage, fifteen watt Intel process version of the processors, which means that this this machine is this incredibly confusing mix of like way more powerful than say a MacBook Pro because you can get like a GPU that like actually gets used by a bunch of apps and like can let you play games and do like a mm-hmm. ton of stuff, mm-hmm. but at the same time less powerful than a MacBook Pro because it has a, a Intel processor that's like super throttled in you know in its wattage, and so it's like. It's an interesting experiment to see what this computer is for, who needs it, who benefits from this particular combination of componentry.
0: But the form factor of the computer is the confusing thing. Like if you need that GPU, Uh why are you also thinking sometimes I don't and I just want to walk away with this tablet?
4: If you're if you're a, a CFO, Neil, You're talking like someone who's never seen a
3: Microsoft app. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I got to go over here and circle it. Sometimes like, I you
4: got to sit down with your spreadsheet and crunch some numbers and you, wanted, yeah. you want the, your GPU to do that <laughs> for you. Why, you need you, a
3: GPU to do that? If you're a young Talented architect, and sometimes <laughs> yeah, you're in the you, you, know, and then sometimes you gotta flip out the screen and show a client something, and then oh, your kids are home, and you gotta pull up a
4: recipe, and there's a kid. Yeah. I don't know. You know, uh, if I was a young talented architect, I would just become a young talented architect influencer and I would just shop myself to all of these companies nonstop. It's like every product video you make basically features me. You should just put me in it, and I would just be a, a, a multimillionaire. And it's just it's just Dieter circling
3: buildings <laughs> over and over and over again. I, I could I could imagine. I'm sure there are some people that they like the detachable tablet so much that that's why they would get this. But I do think this would actually be a better product if it if because I can imagine more people who would benefit from. I don't need a lot of CPU, but I do render things out every once in a while, and I need I need the GPU to kick in or I play video games that are often not bottlenecked by the CPU at all, just GPU. Um, So there there are interesting use cases where that actually kind of makes sense that low power CPU and a good GPU. I'm
0: just going to read you these two sentences from Tom's post on the book three. This isn't the best choice for a gaming laptop in terms of price and performance unless you want the unique combination of a removable touchscreen that also includes stylus support. You can configure Razer's new Blade 15 with an RTX 2060 and 144 hertz display for less than the starting price of the Surface Book 3. You have to really want to pull that screen off and have a tablet. To me, the Surface Book 3 and the iPad Pro are like an apex of form factor confusion around tablets, right? Like We have gotten to the place where we definitely think the tablets are important, but to make them useful, you definitely have to turn them into laptops. And now it's like, because we think tablets, there's something here with this tablet thing. We have to remove, we have to be able to split this form factor up. But also we know that everybody just really wants this form factor. Just, I don't know. Maybe I'm here. Here's my hot take. Tablets are useless. (laughs) The end Like, the idea that a tablet for a pro in this capacity is a useful thing. When Steve Jobs put out the iPad, he said it's a third device that needs to be good at these things in the middle. You still need a phone and a laptop. The more they've tried to sell tablets, the more they've tried to encroach on laptops. And all that has happened is we have turned them into laptops that are slightly worse because they're inherently compromised.
4: Because phones got so much better and bigger that people just did all that tablet stuff on their phone.
0: Yeah. I mean, look. I think the serv- like, I love the idea that it's a cool tablet that you can use and do all this stuff. Yeah. And you click it in, and it gets a better GPU and battery. That's it's just cool on its face, but in practice, it's just gotten to the place where all we have is slightly worse laptops across, however many different companies.
4: The right compromise here, honestly, is just just make the 360 hinge. Honestly, just. Everyone, everyone will think that they're going to flip it around and use it. It'll be crappier as a tablet if you ever actually do it, but then you get all the benefits of the laptop. Just make the hinge that does the flippy thing all the way around the end.
0: I'm going to put out the same challenge that we put out to people who game on Android phones. The mysterious Android gamer. If you are a hardcore Surface Book user and you are always attaching and detaching it from the base at least once a week just tweet it Dieter. you don't have to do it every five minutes yeah once a week is like still not enough like once a week is like you realize that you've spent the money mm. and you're gonna try to force it again <laughs> right like three times a week okay okay every other day yeah. you're on you're detaching it intentionally because it, that's how you use it, it just tweet at us he's at Backlon. i'm at reckless we'd like to hear from you I suspect, suspect you don't exist. <laughs> but, you know,
4: let me know. <laughs> oh, uh, a bunch of people are mad at me because I, uh, in the Surface Go 2 video, said that I think that, that I don't like the Surface connector. Um, and I don't. I, I, I know that Microsoft loves wow. it. I know it's a very useful port. I know that it sticks in magnetically. I know that it makes it really convenient to plug a dock in. But you know what does all that just as well? Thunderbolt 3. It's not a magnetic connector, but other than that, it just does it. And Microsoft apparently thinks that that's wildly insecure, which is interesting. Um, USB C does it; That's not quite as well, but it can. Uh, you just don't get that magnetic fin. Wait, why does why does Microsoft think it's insecure? Like because there's a there's a leaked presentation Tom wrote about it uh, that apparently Thunderbolt three has like direct access to the bo- the motherboard and direct access to the RAM in some way that isn't mediated by software, which uh, means that it it could potentially be insecure. Is the claim from this internal presentation right? But, but Thunderbolt 3 is basically PCI, right? Like, that makes
0: sense. Okay. I mean, Apple seems to not worry about it so
4: much. Well, my my whole thing, like, there are many, many good things about the Surface Connector, and I, like, I understand, but it's just like with the Apple's Magic Keyboard for the iPad. Just because the thing that they made is pretty good, like, that doesn't mean they could have made something better. Like, the, the things that have to happen to Microsoft's Surface laptops and tablets and whatever in order to keep that Surface Connector there is theoretically holding other things back. Like they have to put the space in there to make the the fin port work in the magnets. Number one, number two, it's keeping them from like figuring out a way to like make Thunderbolt secure in a way they might want to, right? Because like, oh, we got we'll just keep this thing. I don't know. Do you think they're keeping their options open with AMD,
0: right? Because Thunderbolt is very much an Intel thing. That uh, could be. Yeah, I don't know. Like they might be keeping their options open with ARM as well. Like what Apple does with Thunderbolt and ARM is going to be a. It's like an upcoming question because Thunderbolt right now very much tied to Intel. Yeah.
4: My my original my my pin tweet for years was it's okay to like things and it's okay that other people like things and like don't be don't be mean for people for liking the thing that they like. Uh, I'm just gonna put out the flip side. It's okay that I don't like the Surface Connector. It does not mean <laughs> that you're wrong that you like it. I you are correct. The Surface Connector is great. I am correct. The Surface Connector is garbage. Wow. Hot take on the VergeCast, everybody. Uh, how philosophy
3: works. Yeah,
4: everyone is right.
3: Okay.
0: The connector both exists and does not exist at the same
3: time. What's it like to be a service connector?
0: <laughs> All right. More Microsoft news. Does Xbox Series X have a service connector? Oh my that God. would really turn this upside down. That would be amazing. Uh, so Microsoft's, uh, I don't know. Title wave of Xbox Series X news continues to crash upon our shores. Yeah. Today was gameplay footage that came out uh, showing off ray tracing. They're showing off the graphics. They're showing off the games. They have a bunch of game announcements about what will be optimized game sharing between the original Xbox One and the Xbox Series X. Some very some confusion around how other companies are going to implement it, particularly EA. What is going on here? Here's
3: here's what I think. All right. Microsoft's strategy, I think, is to really push this thing where you can buy games right now, and they'll be playable on the next gen. And when you buy, and when the next gen comes out, current Xbox One owners won't feel super left behind. Um, and so this this is a kind of a weird. This doesn't feel like an E three slate of games, if you know what I mean. Like Assassin's Creed was is definitely like the biggest IP. Like, the best looking game in this lineup is called, and they led off the presentation with it, Bright Memory Infinite. It is crazy beautiful, made by one person. It's like, and so they're really uh, leaning into, the, the way it's looking to me with a lot of these games, they don't look very next gen, except for like the ray tracing aspect which is obviously super next gen so it's it's going to be stuff like lighting um and like anything you can do on the GPU anything you can do like with a shader um to like make cooler special effects like better smoke and wind there's a ton of weather in a lot of these videos if you if you've noticed like in the games like looks like weather technology is great and you've got like in the bright memory trailer there's all these like moving trees with leaves and stuff and and it and in rain and it, it's it's stunning and very next gen looking but i feel like what is not here is what next gen looks like in like 2021 20, 22 when you have games coming out that won't be backwards compatible because you if you make a game that um has to also run on Xbox 1 or PlayStation 4 it has to work with a regular hard drive and so you can't uh pack in like Way higher res textures, for instance, that that wouldn't you know load as well. you know. I just feel like there's a lot of stuff that game developers have to decide whether they're going to make a, a title right now that's going to bridge both consoles, which is probably a better decision at the moment. But there's going to come a time when I feel like what what will truly look next gen um, in more ways than just these like graphical effects will be the like higher high res textures and stuff that takes more advantage of the SSD and the CPU.
0: Yeah, and so Microsoft has a new badge optimized for Series X. Like all of Microsoft's badges in the past, it means one or all of several things. So it it's 4K resolution, it's faster hardware compression, it's the use of the SSD, but it doesn't it doesn't require the developer to use all those things. It's just maybe some of them, maybe all of them. I think this transition period in this console
4: generation is going to be real weird. Right. Mm-hmm. You're trying to convince a bunch of people to buy your new console when they currently have an existing console, right? How do you get someone to buy a new console? Well, there's better graphics, and there are these games that you can only play on this new console. Well, they're trying to split that difference. It's like, well, there's better graphics, but the games, like, they're going to be backwards compatible. They're going to work on everything. But you'll know you're getting the better graphics if you have this badge. But this badge doesn't necessarily mean you're getting all the cool stuff. It just means you're getting some cool stuff. And so all of a sudden, you know, your pitch to the gamer is... Go buy this new expensive thing. Some games may be optimized for it, but we don't want to cut off the backwards compatibility. So you could still play them if you don't don't buy it. But if you do buy it, it'll be optimized for it. You'll see. You'll know because of this badge. But you also got to make sure you look at what's listed underneath the badge so you can find out exactly what benefits you're getting. I think this is all, all directly related to the just gigantic shift in
0: business model that the entire tech industry has seen, Right. Okay. So what was every previous console? the first generation of hardware sales lost money, right? This is just the standard way that particularly the console gaming industry worked. Microsoft put out the Xbox. They lost Xbox. They lost money on every Xbox sale for a while. They made all the money on games. They had the install base. They would put out the next version, cut costs, slowly start to make money on hardware sales, but then have the install base make money licensing all the games. That was the old way, to some extent, still happening. What is next to it now is... A gigantic services business, right? Xbox Live, all of the in game purchases, all the stuff, right? Like subscriptions to, they're selling movies in the store. So just having the hardware there is important. And now, once you want that, you need an entire range of prices of hardware. Hmm. Right. Like you need, you need the cheap one. You need the expensive one. You just need to get the box in people's houses so they can start spending money on
3: it. Even their branding along those lines, even their branding for this cross plat cross generation games is called smart delivery when smart delivery does not at all evoke <laughs> cross generation <laughs> compatible, like smart compatible or something, you know, smart delivery is like a service.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was saying about EA at the very beginning of all this. EA has not pledged to use it. So you can get, you can buy Madden, but if you want to get Madden now and then use it on your Xbox Series X, you have to like buy it within some window and then upgrade it within some window. And it's not this promise of when you download the game, we'll deliver the right bits for your console.
3: Because They don't want you to go to GameStop and buy like an old version of Madden 21 and then it runs next gen probably right i wonder what it's like to be like the product lead for madden at ea and just be you know that like
0: no matter what every year i'm gonna turn on this money fountain like, <laughs> just like like when they have their like stand-up meetings they're like how are all the games going and they get to the madden guy he's like money fountain scheduled to turn on <laughs> like it's coming don't you worry about it we have an exclusive license for this game. What if,
4: it's, what if it's like an ice luge, like like, the, like the, they have at CES where like, <laughs> they pour the alcohol on the ice luge, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, no, I bet it's a more expensive ice luge than what it's CS. Yeah, probably. The CS <laughs> ice luge is spectacularly low rent. Yeah. I bet the Mad Money Fountain is a, a towering structure. Anyway, the next time console stuff is happening, I just think that... Do you, you guys watch... I think Polygon did a great piece on ray tracing in Minecraft. Just go look it up on Polygon. They have a bunch of demos of what it looks like With ray tracing, ray trace graphics uh, on a PC in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. It is, it's Minecraft. It looks insane. Mm -hmm. Because it's still Minecraft. Yeah. But it's like some of the most beautiful lighting you've ever seen in Minecraft. And it's just one of those places where, because the game, it's not trying to be beautiful. Like Minecraft, at no point is Minecraft trying to be beautiful. You can just very clearly see what the ray tracing is doing. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just such a stark difference in the game versus... Other games are usually trying to be beautiful, and they're faking it anyway.
3: Right? Yeah. Uh, lots of other games have been trying to fake a lot of these effects. So I, I'm very excited if if, if this it, is all. I mean, again, this 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 game made by this one dude, um, like, is an example of. Uh, in some sense, it's it might become cheaper uh, to make a good game. Um, it, you know, it might be easier to make something that's very beautiful, um, or you know, it. it, it it's cheaper to make something performant, like you know, Grand Theft Auto famously would read um, game data off your hard drive and the blue Blu-ray drive simultaneously to keep up. Um, and so, a developer doesn't need to invest that crazy amount of effort to to get something good. These these consoles are bonkers powerful, and it, it's it's really exciting. I'm just trying to like hedge my own excitement because I always know like, you know, you get a launch lineup and it's a little disappointing. I mean, like, remember all that, like, fake bokeh and stuff and, like, lens flares in, like, the early 360 generation? Like, yeah, I feel like developers are going to have new effects and they're probably going to slather them on just a little too thick, I feel like at first, but in a year or two, games are going to be ridiculously better than they are right now, graphically. At least there's that, there's that Horsepower is available.
0: Yeah. I I think I'm going to switch back to the Xbox this this cycle. Whoa, why? Why? I just feel like the the amount of complication in smart delivery and all of this stuff. Like, Microsoft is a better computer company. And all this stuff feels like hard computer service problems. And Sony is, like, a great – I mean, I love my PS4. Uh, I've actually been playing it more than ever during all this. It's just a great product, but there's just a part of all of this developer transition, all of this service integration, where I'm just like, I don't know if Sony can pull it off.
4: Hmm. You just, you know, you you, you just love <laughs> you some Azure, is what you're saying. <laughs> I,
0: I just, I just <laughs> like smart, like smart delivery conceptually, right? It's like it's just a very hard thing to pull off.
3: I I just wonder if smart delivery implies that Apple or I I wonder if smart Delivery implies that Microsoft is going to lean a little bit more on this cross-generation thing, and therefore be a little slower to flagship. Because Microsoft also has a lot fewer first-party titles than than Sony does. So if if you know Microsoft's going to have fewer standout flagship, you know show showcase games to pull people in. So like they're just going to be the big tent that allows you know every you know every game to run everywhere. Where is Sony maybe, uh, and this is total conjecture, but maybe Sony will be pushing harder to like, here is something that is literally impossible on any hardware on the planet other than the PlayStation 5.
0: Oh, I'm sure that's what they'll do. And I'm sure I'll end up buying it. I mean, (laughs) why why am I pretending like I'm not going to buy both, first of all, just for the sake of conflict on this show. Um, But I've been a PS4 person and it's been great. And I just find myself like, oh, the computer part of this computer is not nearly as good. Like, it's just like very obvious that Sony is better at games and worse at managing a service and computer stuff. We talk about com- like there's just everything is now a computer. And so, like, being good at the computer stuff is more important <laughs> than ever. Uh, we'll see. I guarantee you that Sony will come out with some game that makes me buy a PS5. All right. Speaking of computer stuff, one last thing to talk about. Peter, you, you told me that you trolled the entire internet.
4: Well, this Google, I trolled the the internet. It's it's a it's a fair and accurate headline. But if you don't read it read it because you know <laughs> I would I, then then maybe you would be confused. The headline is Google Google unifies all of its messaging and communication apps into a single team. So a team of apps, there's a, there's (laughs) one person now in charge of all of their apps instead of them being spread out across a bunch of different teams, all their communication apps. So let me tell you a story Uh, a long time ago. There was an app that was the best email app for the iPhone by far. Eh, eh, It was very, very good. It was called a and then Microsoft bought it and you know what they did? They didn't ruin it. They turned Outlook into it. They just turned it into Outlook and it became their email app unlike what they did with, you know, Wonderlist, The person who was CEO of the company uh, that made that app, uh, Javier Sotero, bounced around Microsoft for a while, did some Cortana stuff for a while, and last October got put in charge of G Suite. And in the time since, Hangouts, Meet Chat, Chat Meet, Meet Chat, Meet Cute, whatever it was called, uh, has now simply just become Google Meet and Google Chat for enterprise. They're working on cleaning it up for, you know, consumers. That's still a little bit of a mess. Uh, But they just made the call, like, seems like he knows what he's doing and so they have they have put him in charge of um that's great the uh the apps that are on android for communication um so primarily it consists of like duo messages and the phone dialer um now there's a bunch of really deep nerdy WebRTC and rcs politics we could get into here if you want um i'm I'm willing to do that go that's right here so if you think this means that they're just going to unify everything it does not like google thinks like look like people like the the quote i got from uh, hiroshi lock lockheimer which i haven't put in the article is um look y'all use slack right yeah yeah we use slack is anybody angry that slack doesn't integrate rcs i mean it's just like no yeah. the answer is no and so but it's not even like I, know. I like hiroshi a lot yeah that question is insane well but the point is that do you want your android messages to integrate with your work chat is like kind of the question i don't know like this is their con- their contention is like look like the work stuff the enterprise stuff shouldn't be merged with the consumer stuff there's like different use cases for different kinds of apps different kinds of communication apps that's their that's their the, what they're saying and so don't expect all these apps to merge and i actually i do want them to like clean it up a little bit more um but I don't want them to rush into it because I saw what happened the last time they tried to rush into unifying all of their uh, messaging apps. And it was called Hangouts and that worked for about a month and then it all went to shit. And then it has taken them three years to recover from that. Okay. I
0: agree that enterprise apps and consumer apps are different. I would also point to the fact that the two most popular enterprise apps in the world right now are Slack and Zoom which are great consumer apps, and that is why they are successful. And consumers are using them in droves.
4: Yeah. Well, I think that they want Google Chat Hangouts that transition to finally happen. I think that's like the next thing that has to happen. That like, it has to stop being... In this weird nether zone that it's been in for very, very long time. They're like, we're gonna kill it. And everyone's like, no, like, no, we're gonna replace it. We're like, okay. And what what when are you gonna do that? And like, well, we're gonna do it. And it just like took a while. Um, and it's still taken a while.
0: But to get back to the RCS and Slack point, yes, it makes no sense. Okay. No one is like, I want to iMessage from Slack either, right. right? Right. I also guarantee you that if that demand existed, Slack would build test. Deploy and iterate on its RCS connector. Yeah, ten times faster. Yeah, than Google has done anything with RCS. Okay, the demand doesn't exist because te- RCS is for texting and Slack is for
4: chat rooms at work. So then Google's argument, the reason that like the 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 analogy being made here is why would you expect chat and Android Messages to be the same thing? Wait, I'm sorry. Which one is Google Chat? <laughs> See, this is part of the freaking problem right here. Uh, Google Chat is Google's uh, Hangouts competitor, and it will eventually be the thing that they replace. Wait, it's Hangouts, not competitor? Hangouts. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Google Chat is Google's Slack slash Microsoft Teams competitor, oh. and eventually it will be on the consumer side become, I think, what replaces Hangouts, which is what everyone. Used to call Google chat, but was never actually Google chat. is dying. I literally am watching him die right now on my video screen.
3: These names are all bad. I do like the idea that I can't accidentally convert a personal chat Mm -hmm. into a work chat. Yeah. Like I like there's some sort of membrane there. Yeah. But- There are a lot of times when you are in a one-on-one conversation and then you want to move to, you add somebody into that and you're like, actually, you know what? This should be a voice call. Oh, actually, let's do this on video.
4: Hey, let me share my screen. Oh, let's bring this back to voice. Google chat slash meet are designed to do that. And then on Android, it's a combination of like Android messages and duo. Um, And like, so... We're not going to get like a grand integration, but there are going to be some benefits. So one of the things that uh, Javier told me was like right now uh, there's Hangouts Meet and there's uh, Duo on Android, and they both use some uh, variant of WebRTC, right? But like Duo is like using a new kind of video spec for to to make sure that like it looks better, and I don't think Meet is there yet. And so Google's you know, they support this open spec WebRTC for video on, on the web, and then they're building products on top of it, but they're building products in two slightly different directions. And now he'll be able to just, like, have them build in the same direction and use the technology in similar ways instead of different ways.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nice.
4: Yeah, This sounds better. I agree with your take. Uh, this is not my take. I'm I'm just telling you what I have been told. The my take is Google has been uh, wildly negligent with uh, RCS and with Android Messaging. They took way too long to recover from the fiasco of Hangouts because, you know, it's like it's like if you ever had just like a really really bad meal at like a particular restaurant you know that that restaurant is good you know and like you you want you'll you'll go back there again but you just don't want to think about it and then you finally go back like oh god i I should i should have like solved this problem sooner that was google plus slash google hangouts for google right like they just it was so all of that that entire episode was so painful for them it was easier for them to just not think about it and that meant that things got messy and now they're thinking about it again yeah well the take i was agreeing with was
0: they looked around and they identified a guy who seems like they kn- he knows what he's doing. Yes, that is true. <laughs> it is amazing. That I said, I agree with your take. And you went there. Yeah. I was just like, this guy maybe seems like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Like, yep. He's got some history. I think if they more cleanly differentiate the enterprise and consumer stuff, yep. they come up with some branding that actually makes sense. Yes. And they should just name all the consumer stuff. G chat, which is a product that has never existed, but everyone thinks well, exists. it exists now.
4: It's the enterprise product.
0: (laughs) All right. We got to take a break. I can't talk about this anymore. We're taking a break. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
0: All right, Paul. Yeah. Every week, my friend. Mm Mm-hmm. You do a segment. What's it called? What...
3: What (laughs) is it called? (laughs) It's called embarrassingly parallel. It's called phone prison. <laughs> Lonely alone. Hold the phone. It's called the hearings. <laughs> Record resolution revolution. I've carved this for you out of aluminum. It's the weekly robot backflip update. Rhymes with what's popping. Shasuivage. <laughs> <laughs> Safety first, they said. Bring a ding ding. Kickflip the kickstand script. What is it like to be a dolphin? Please don't block my chain. Wireless vapes. Keyboard in the front club population. 2 Cold Ears Warm Heart Can't Lose Can't Lose The Decline of Dirt Meal Pods 2 Jeff (laughs) Bezos Edition First to Fold Type Like Nobody's Watch Spin to Win Space Egg Eastgate's Arms Race Clam This because I'm going to interrupt this week's regularly scheduled segment for an important announcement from the USB implementers forum. <laughs> called touch a tree, touch the future. Hashtag dongle what? Nightlight highlights. <laughs> Sleep tight. iPad LAN party. My heart is a low frequency oscillator. Please replace magenta. Why didn't you push that button? Don't brick the shoes. Don't brick the jacket. Smart yoga pants. Nice netbook, man. Tell me. Am I beautiful? Why not two? Keyboard in the front club, honorary inductee edition. The penultimate dongle. A jaunty nega Invisible to visible. <laughs> I believe I have met this robot dog before in a past life. Phones aren't jokes. Robots dance while they die. A cloud computing murder tale brought to you by the same people who collectively write all the James Patterson novels. It's called Android Tablets Are a Real Gift to Humanity, and I think we forget that sometimes. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I built my own computer? The year of the Linux desktop with a delightful plot twist brought to you by Christopher Nolan. Dongletown, USA. The JSON of emotions. ATX, more like late TX. No more notches. And there's a question mark. A lot of people leave off the question. (laughs) Skate four is not a joke. Do I look like I'm laughing? Now that's a smart kid. The sweetest pies. Adam and book is best book. It's called You've Been a Good Boy. Nice bokeh you've got there. It would be a shame if something happened to it. Are there no laws? hype piece. And the track point guys laugh and laugh. <laughs> Sorry, I can't pass the jewel because of cybersecurity. Fridge ice is trash ice. Please don't at me. If my shoes turn green, it's time for crime. Let me just jot that down with my money pen. It's called, what do you want? A medal? Here's the place where we do the crimes. Signed, your friend, a team. 600% screen to body ratio. <laughs> I've seen the matrix. I'm not an idiot. You know what? Maybe radio was a mistake. The real crime, teens, <laughs> is flavor. Our best banana phone yet. Flip phones, and there are three O's. Uh oh, we have a time hole. I'm taking my talents to artificial general intelligence. So you want to get into the GPU biz? Called Express Card. Never died. It only slept. In the apocalypse, we don't need space bars. Web often. Oh yeah. To charge the time, do a dongle crime. If a room. By had arms who would it hug? The cloud, but for kids. Revenge of the glass hole. Call bring back bump. Top ten LCD betrayals. A plurality of puffs. Take a picture of your ear. Do it. Take me to your metaverse, Mr. Sweeney. I'm a Moog man now. It's my year of the Linux desktop, boys. If I were a rich man, pop the stack. More hurts than you can handle, old man. Tap me on the shoulder. DisplayPort Alt mode two. 2.0 a memoir
0: one last time to hold this nation together can you do yeah. it as we've heard it's always been called the same thing
3: it is and always, always and all will always be called so long and thanks for all the bitcoin Whoa, uh, obviously of course i'm referring to the zoom acquisition of keybase keybase <laughs> is The coolest and worst thing simultaneously. They have basically made like serious and amazing software and encryption and cryptography tools easily usable, beautiful, super friendly. And they're also funded by what in my mind is a scam (laughs) Um, (laughs) coin called Stellar. And so Keybase, they did some sort of, the Stellar did a, like a, an airdrop via Keybase um, where they just gave a bunch of people Stellar because it's a scam coin and nothing means anything. And I got like, I don't remember how much, but it was serious amount of dollars. And I like, there was like someone who popped up a service where you could just like send the Stellar to him and he'd pay you in uh, lightning, uh, like Bitcoin.
4: You're just making up words.
3: Yeah, well, it worked and I have money now (laughs) thanks to the stellar acquisition of Keybase. But it's also really sad because it felt like one of the coolest things in the space was like trending towards a kind of a scammy world. Um, So now Zoom just bought Keybase as part of their like, we're going to make our software secure. And it's not really clear what's going to happen to Keybase. Like it might just be an acqui-hire uh, I think the phrase is: "Leaders from Zoom and Keybase will work together to determine the future of the Keybase product."
4: I mean that—that that means it's done. Aww. That means it's done. There's no way that 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 statement is. That's a classic Aquarius statement. We we will work together to determine the future. That means goodbye. That means it's going to get I'm, wonder listed, at best.
3: My, my hope is that just like if you told me four years ago that. I would host all my code on a Microsoft cloud service and use a Microsoft like IDE for, for developing full-time. Like I was like, get out of here. Um, But they, they pivoted so hard to loving developers. They really embraced the words of Steve Ballmer, developers, 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 and you know, now love them or hate them, it's hard. kind of hard to get away from Microsoft's services for developers. So I'm saying Zoom pivots from being hilariously insecure to being the ultimate cryptography because because Keybase has a whole suite of products. They have encrypted Git. They've got like end end encrypted uh, chat, and I think the they have working group chat as well. Like they've got all these wonderful services. They've got like a like a Dropbox. C- competitor in a sense. All, all encrypted, all with good crypto- cryptography. Zoom could be the, the company that brings them to the mainstream ch- and turn that image around. Yeah, I, I think the, the
0: amount of work Zoom has done to bring on advisors. Uh we're we're gonna interview Alex Stamos who's a Zoom's one of Zoom's security advisor in a, in a week or so. They've brought on these advisors they're buying key they froze in their features for 90 days to focus on security. It is a pretty rapid response to a lot of well-deserved criticism. Paul, I agree, no one knows what's going to happen with Keybase. Like, even their their own press materials are like, yeah, we'll see. In a normal world, we would just find out because Keybase is in our office building.
3: But <laughs> oh really?
0: I would just like go over there. But uh, I guess not. So we'll just we'll keep sending them emails until they answer.
3: Anyways, thanks for the Bitcoin, guys.
0: I was going to buy you one Bitcoin, but it turns out they're very expensive. <laughs> they are expensive. Um, <laughs> so uh, I will not be buying
3: you a parting Bitcoin. It's pumping. The the, the halving is coming up. Are you guys aware of this?
0: Yes, uh, because Liz is dying to write about it. What What is your take on the halving? The halving?
3: Well, so uh, every four years, the, Bitcoin has a fixed issuance rate that gets cut in half every four years. So... About every 10 minutes, a new block is is rewarded to like a a, a new block is mined and the miner gets a, a a reward of Bitcoin. So that's how that's the what's called the flow in, in, into the Bitcoin system. And we're right now at like 17 million Bitcoin, and there's only ever going to be 21 million. So the, but the the incoming supply uh gets cut in half every four years. So that's what we're coming up on. And at the moment of the having the stock-to-flow ratio of Bitcoin will be scarcer than that of gold. So there's there's X amount of gold that exists, and then there's Y amount of gold that is mined, right? So the the amount that exists is the stock, the amount is mined is the flow, um, that, that Bitcoin's ratio will be more extreme than gold's ratio after this halving. Uh, so it's very exciting and and uh, and what they, what
0: what does, what does that? does that just mean that I'll see ads for
3: Bitcoin on like late night cable TV? it It means yes, yes, it means it means Bitcoin is becoming like the most scarce asset in existence. So if you think Bitcoin is money and you think it's an asset, it's it is becoming officially the absolute hardest money. like if if you if you are into gold because of its stock to flow ratio, you just got one upped.
0: Okay. I wanna believe. Mm-hmm. I just at some point you watch all of these things result in what people really want, which is dollars. Yeah. Right? Like the when I say Bitcoin is expensive, it, it's because I have dollars and I want you know what I mean? Like the the relationship to the, the fiat currencies is still just the the fundamental of the thing. Right. When do you think the transition to bitcoin being valued for bitcoin is
3: i think in um i feel like in 10 years you would be like mad if someone tried to pay you dollars wow (laughs) like
0: a hard prediction for you're going out with a bang
3: i think there's something wrong with most monies that can be printed and bitcoin can't be printed and there's something kind of special about that and so yeah like Most people get interested in this stuff because of, for dollar gains, like I'm going to buy low and sell high. But most of the people I follow in the Bitcoin community are trying to create a permanent exit from the, from the fiat system.
4: Paul, I have a harder question. How -hmm. many years until Bitcoin doesn't make me feel stupid?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like. How many layers of the internet are, are there? Like, I don't fully understand TCP, IP and DNS and, and all, that, all that sort of thing. Like, like Bitcoin is a relatively difficult to understand. I think
4: the problem with Bitcoin's complexity is that there are people who are financially incentivized to make it complex because when they make it complex, they are able to like get an edge on other people. Uh, I don't I, mean like in the core paper of like what Bitcoin is itself. I mean in the Bitcoin economy and like the shit that happened, the meta stuff.
3: It feels like all the money in that economy is trying to make things easier. Like Cash App, you know, you can just tap a button, buy some Bitcoin, or you can like dollar cost average with like Swan Bitcoin or, or you know, a lot of the, the work in there is, is trying to make it more usable and, and easy to use. And I feel like when you compare it to the fiat system like which one's really actually more complex all
0: right well this is an excellent transition into you talking about your new show because you're you've already done two episodes and your second one's about bitcoin tell people about your new show and then we'll get out of here
3: yeah so cyberdeck users weekly uh i i just want to talk about uh like what technology is for for and like kind of the weird directions that I'm interested in going with it. I don't know. Like, like I'm thinking of doing an episode of like, are we using computers correctly? You know, like maybe we should be doing more math. I don't know. Like that, I, I just got a lot of thoughts. I want to Dig into, and I've also got a lot of people that I love in like the open source and technology industry that I want to talk to. So my first interview was with Matt Odell, who is a Bitcoiner, and that was a lot of fun. But he's like a longtime Vergecast listener, so we got to talk a lot about you know security and privacy and technology in general, um, and then also Bitcoin. Uh, so there, there's probably going to be a lot of a lot of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, some, some people are already listening and I'm really grateful to them. Uh, and yeah, you can find uh, me at paul.lol. All right.
0: Well, Paul, it has been a privilege and great fun to be doing this show with you for across three different shows, Mm -hmm. uh, to be doing it. I'm sure we will have our paths cross again in the future, but thanks for doing this with us, man. Thanks. Thanks for making the version with us. It's been great. Thank you guys. All right. That's it. That's our chest. This is for you, buddy.
4: Rock and roll, Paul, Paul, Paul.